in 1 Corinthians, the first letter <coughs> to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians. <coughs> Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, even them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all that call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in every place, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything ye were enriched in him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye be unreprovable in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfected together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been signified unto me concerning you, my brethren, by them that are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I mean, that each one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized? into the name of Paul, I thank God that I baptized none of you, save Crispus and Gaius. Lest any man should say that ye were baptized into my name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made void. For the word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. Well now, this evening, we're going to talk about what really lies behind this thought of dividing up, to begin with, on Tuesdays, the time of prayer 
into the sub-districts of the area in which we live. We have, of course, um, thought about this. We have, this was a, something that came to us years ago. Um, I would say really almost at the beginning of the work, uh, certainly when we first moved here, we conceived that there would come a time when um, uh, we would find uh, the premises too small uh, for the number, uh, and then we would have to face the problem of what to do. And we had always felt that on the one hand, we should keep, gatherings for everyone, and on the other, we should divide into smaller uh, numbers. Well, now, at long last, um, we are on the threshold of this. Now, what is it that lies behind it all? Well, <clears throat> the first thing we just need to say something about is the matter of the church locally express. Now, I'm sure, not so much perhaps in this company, certainly those of you who've recently been saved or recently come to us, certainly I'm afraid generally the whole subject of the church was until uh, a year or two ago a Cinderella uh, theologically. No one bothered very much about the subject of the church. The attitude was that uh, um, we ought to get saved, and we ought to get others saved, and that was the thing that mattered. Um, the church, because of a violent reaction against <coughs> Roman Catholicism, with its great emphasis upon the church, um, was bypassed largely. And the result... Um, has been that we so often don't even understand quite what we mean by the church. You hear of people speaking about going to church. You hear someone saying they've left their handbag at church. Or you hear someone else who's left their umbrella in the church. Uh, you never hear such phraseology in the New Testament. You can't leave an umbrella in the church. You can't leave a handbag in the church. There's no such phraseology in the New Testament. Of course, in the Old Testament you could. You could have left your umbrella in the temple. You could have left your handbag in the temple. But when it came to the New Testament, you just couldn't do it. Because the whole conception was something quite different. This just shows how far we have drifted from what the Word of God uh, teaches us concerning this matter. You know that there are two phrases we find throughout the New Testament. One is the church, and the other is the phrase, the churches. You find, for instance, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, a very well-known verse, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build 
my church. That's the church of God. Timeless, universal, including all who belong to our Lord Jesus Christ who were born of His Spirit, saved by His grace. But if you turn to Revelation chapter 1 and uh, verse 11, we read that there was this voice of God which said, What thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamum, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. In other words, this one church is locally expressed in companies of believers, and the only name or label given to them is the name of the locality in which it's found. We are not told to send it to uh, the Pauline church at Laodicea, or the Petrine church in Thyatira, or the Apollonian church or mission for drug addicts and others in Pergamum, or what shall we say, St. Somebody Else's elsewhere, or the exclusives at Ephesus who say they're of Christ. You don't read of such a thing. It's quite simple. The church is a unity. It is not a thing. It is a unity. It is a, a person, in fact. It is Christ. And you and I, by the grace of God, by the salvation of God, we have been brought into Christ. Now, you are in Christ and I'm in Christ. If you're a true believer, you're in Christ and I'm in Christ. And my Christ is not a different Christ to your Christ. We haven't every one of us got our own Christ. There is no such thing as a personal Christ. It's a hideous phrase. You can come to know him personally, but to Think of speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ as a commodity, like soap, or a hand towel, or, or something else. A personal something. A personal Savior, a personal Christ. The Scripture comes nowhere near such irreverent terms as that. There's only one Christ. Each one of us must know himself. That's it. Each one of us must have a personal experience of his salvation and of his life and of his power, of his fullness. That's another matter. There's only one Christ. And you've been brought into the one Christ and I've been brought into the one Christ and every single believer is in that one Christ. No matter who they are, the, the, the Apostle Paul is in Christ tonight. Peter is in Christ tonight. Hudson Taylor's in Christ. St. Augustine's in Christ tonight. John Huss is in Christ tonight. Martin Luther's in Christ tonight. The Wesley brothers are in Christ tonight. You're in Christ. Think of that. The communion of saints. The communion of saints. Don't think that they're dead. Because they're not. 
That's what the Lord said when he said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. The whole point was the Lord Jesus brought this as a proof that they were alive, that, that they were not dead, they were alive. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, we won't go into that, but that's an easy, another wonderful thing. They're all in Christ, in actual fact, according to Hebrews 11. There, there, too. But isn't this marvelous? This, this unity, this, this, this spiritual entity, this, this spiritual organism into which you and I have been brought is something so tremendous that we could all do a kind of um, dance of triumph. It's so marvelous. And when you think of this whittled-down gospel, which makes some people think that all the Christian message is, is that you ought to have your sins washed away tremendous as it is. And then, when that's done, and you've signed a decision card, or gone forward at a meeting, or been converted, then you pray, you read your Bible, and that's absolutely right and necessary. But that's all there is to it. And you witness if you're very zealous. You go to church as often as you can, one day you'll die and you'll go to heaven and you'll sit in heaven forever after playing a harp. No wonder the world around us derides this gospel as if it's something pathetic, as if it's some sort of useless appendix that's sort of left over from some sort of former prehistoric life as they used to think about the appendix. I mean, I have the greatest sympathy with the world that it thinks we Christians are the queerest lot. If that's what you believe, what message has that got for the 20th century? Right, sins forgiven, that's something tremendous. But if people have no consciousness of sin, if there's no great vision held before them of some great purpose or plan of God, how can there come any sense of, I'm not worthy to be in such a thing? I can never get there myself. But the gospel is not that. The gospel is not something little. The gospel is tremendous. It is simply this, that God has desired us from the very beginning and desires that we should come into such a relationship with him that we are absolutely one with him. We're in him and he is in us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Caught up in the bundle of life. You're involved. You're incorporated. You're brought in. You're introduced. And the salvation of God is just that. The salvation of God is to introduce you into God's original plan and purpose. Now, we mustn't uh, uh, start here on this matter because we shall be here the whole evening. We shall never get down to the question of why we're going to break up into smaller groups. But it's, we must understand first and foremost the church is not a building, the church is not an organization, the church is not an institution, the church is not bricks and mortar, the church isn't a system. The church, supremely, in its final analysis, is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are his body. We're in him. Joined to him. Now you've never seen a living body without a head. And you've never seen a living head without a body. Have you? Why, if you were to divide your head from your body even for a moment, you would be dead. That would be the end of you. And the scripture uses, the Holy Spirit uses this term, head and body, to bring before us a living unity. The head needs the body, the body needs the head. It's one entity, one unity. This is the church. And we're all in it. And it has no, the church has, it has no question of time, no question of locality, no question of place or such. It's eternal in the heavens, the building of God. And as I say, to bring it home to you, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, tonight, what a privilege that you're rubbing shoulders with him. And this, the Apostle Peter, and John, and James, and all the others, they're all, Stephen's in it. They're all in it. You're rubbing shoulders with them. You don't understand that there's, a, as it were, we're in time, and they've passed in, in one sense into eternity. But since we're in Christ, we're all really together. There's only one church. There's not a church up there and a church down here. <laughs> it's only one church. You know. It's the church that the Lord Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that church is to be expressed in time and in place. That is what we mean by the church locally expressed. Now, the church is not a conglomeration of so many churches. Get that idea right out of your mind. Church here, church there, church over there, all together, you squash them together and that's the church. Don't look at it like that. Think of it like this. There's only one church. Here's an expression. Somewhere else there's an expression. Somewhere else there's an expression. Do you understand? If you were alive in the New Testament, you went from Jerusalem, and there was the church in Jerusalem. There weren't churches in Jerusalem. They numbered actually after the day of Pentecost 3,000. A week later, they were 5,000. A week later, there was a great, an even greater company were added. True, people were going out, but people were getting saved all the time. There's only one church. The church of Jerusalem. Right the way through. If you went from there to Ephesus, you found out the believers there. There may only be 20 of them. They were the church. Do you see? You went to Corinth. There was the church. You went to Berea. There was the church. You went to Smyrna. There was the church. And if there was no place there, well, the apostle opened his mouth and started preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Before long, two people were saved, and there was the church. Now, if you have two people saved in one place, you can't have elders, deacons, and all that paraphernalia. But it's the church. That may come later, but you've got the church there, you see. So everyone who came then answered, oh, the church is here. Here they are, two of them. They meet for fellowship and prayer and comfort. We're the only believers here, they said. Come in. 
Mr. Daichibushi, where are you from? Well, 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 well. We're so glad you're with us. That's three of us. They didn't say, now our visitor here. We're the members of this church. You're a visitor. So now we'll investigate you whether we can have you at the Lord's table on Sunday. And if we decide that you're okay, we'll have you in. And if not, we'll sit you behind the rope. And you can wait there for a while. So we're sure about it. No, not at all. Once they had that witness that they were true believers, they said, we're not something in ourselves. We're only one family. You're not, you're not a member of the church in Pamphylia. You're a member of the church. So come in. Now, of course, we've got a crazy mixed up of state of affairs today. We've got every conceivable name and label attached to companies of Christians we think it's bad enough here, but believe me, you've got to go to the States to really see it. I've never seen such names. Disciples of Christ, Christian Disciples, Church of Christ, Christian Church, this, that, the other. I've never heard so many names that have been added to things. It's incredible. What should we do? Well, the fact is this, that the church locally expressed practically express that is so if you don't like the word local forget it and think of it as practically expressed the same thing the church practically expressed in god's mind is inclusive of every true believer in that area it doesn't leave one out not one not one single born-again believer is left out. There may be someone who has no idea of where Leviticus is, or where Jude is, who doesn't even understand what the word communion means. But he or she has been born of God. God says that one's in. And there may be someone else who's a theologian. Who can discourse on tremendous philosophical matters as to the arguments between Swingley and Luther over the Lord's table? As to whether the Lord is body and blood is present in the bread and the wine, or only under the appearance of bread and wine. But because that one is not born of God, God says the man's out. He's not in. God includes every single person in that church who's born of God. They may be a Roman Catholic. They may genuflect before an altar, cross themselves every time they go in, sprinkle water all over themselves and consider it to be holy. But if they're born of God, they're in. And you can't put them out even if you belong to the wildest Protestant Truth Society. You can't put them out because they're in and God has put them in. So never forget that. On the other hand, there may be others who have all the appearance of evangelical 
pervert to a certain extent. They've got the phraseology, they've got the attitudes, they've got the background, they've got the name, but they've never had a saving experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the fact that they're on a church roll, that their name is here or there, that they donate every now and again something, that there's some plaque with their name on, doesn't mean a thing to God. So we come to this inescapable conclusion that the church locally expressed in God's mind includes every truly born-again believer and excludes every unbeliever. If the person was an archbishop and he wasn't truly saved, he's out as far as God is concerned. If the person was a tramp and he's been born of God, he's in as far as God is concerned. The next thing I want to say is this, that it is not only the church locally expressed is not only inclusive of every truly born-again believer and exclusive of every unbeliever in that area, but it is inclusive of all that is of Christ. Now, this is a very important point. Where the exclusives went wrong. It's inclusive of all that is of Christ. So it doesn't matter what it is. If there's something of Christ in that area, God says, that's in my church. As part of my church. It may be good Sunday school work. Done in the power of God. Done in sheer dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got a label attached to it. But it's a work that is of Christ. There's something there of God. As far as God is concerned, it is. Now, just opposite, it is exclusive of everything that's not of Christ. So you may have all the New Testament pattern and everything else and all the jargon and phraseology that goes with it. But there are certain things that are not of Christ. That's not it. We read this, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, the passage we read together. <clears throat> Let me just very quickly read it to you. Unto the church of God, which is of Corinth, even them that are sanctified <coughs> in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in every place their Lord and ours. That is the best explanation of the church locally expressed in the New Testament. The church of God, which is a current, them that are set apart in Christ, by the grace of God, set apart. Called to be saints with all the call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in every place. Not with all that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and agree with us. But with all that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in every place, their Lord and ours. Inclusive of every truly born-again believer. And it's exclusive of all who are not sanctified, set apart, Christ. 
And then I want you to turn also to 2 Timothy. Now this is a passage which was used very greatly by the exclusives. But don't let us be afraid of the fact. The fact of the matter is in the word of God. Some of the deductions they drew from this I think are wrong. But I must say that the truth is there. Listen, it's all about trouble in a local company. And especially those who are mixed, erroneous, or somehow or other teaching error, or her almost heretical. And this is what he says. Now we really ought to read from verse 14, but we haven't that time. But I suggest that you at home read from verse 14 when you get there. I'm going to read from verse 19. How be it, he says, after this question of these people who've been teaching false things, how be it the firm foundation of God standeth, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of the Lord depart from unrighteousness. Now this isn't just moral unrighteousness. It's doctrinal as well. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some unto honor and some unto dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. So in other words, uh, the church includes all that is really of God and excludes all that is not of Christ. And our job is to purge ourselves from what is not of Christ. Not to depart from one another, but not to be partaker of one another's sins. Now, you might wonder, what on earth that all means? Well, let me move on and say this. The church, the, the Christ, is the only foundation of our gathering, of our fellowship, and of our function. The church locally expressed has only one foundation. That foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he is the foundation of our gathering. Our gathering together is not some doctrine, or some teaching, or some experience, or some specialized view of the Lord's return, or some special view of holiness, or special view of the work of the Holy Spirit. Our foundation is Jesus Christ himself and alone. That's our foundation. Woe betide anyone who adds to that foundation and makes that the kind of basis for fellowship. Or admittance. No. Our foundation for gathering together, being built together, if you will, is Jesus Christ as the one foundation. And of our fellowship. I don't have fellowship with you because you are spiritually elite. I have fellowship with you as much as I can, as much as you can with me, on the basis that we're in Christ. 
I don't sort of say, look here, do you know what it is to be crucified for Christ? If you don't, there's no good you having fellowship with me. Nor do I all the time sort of say to you, you must have. Like a gramophone with a needle stuck. I love you because you're a child of God. If I feel you need something, well, I'll pray. And I'll pray for you. And if there comes a point where it's right to have fellowship with you about something, we'll have fellowship with you. But our foundation is not that I've had this and you haven't, but that we are born of God and we're in Christ. That's our foundation. It's not only the foundation of our gathering together, our being built together, God's building work, but it's the foundation of our fellowship. And furthermore, it is the foundation for our functioning. Now, woe betide any person if they seek to function without the power of the Holy Spirit. We soon begin to find ourselves out there, don't we? But our, the foundation for our functioning is Christ. His finished work. Let us get that quite clear. And furthermore, we must add just something else to this. That foundation of Christ, as we find that foundation locally, it's no good me talking about it in, in, in Timbuktu, or, or, or in, in Paris, or in New York, or, or, or Los Angeles. The point is this. Here we are. I can say, oh, I feel so one with the brothers and those dear Christians in Melbourne. How I love them with all my heart. Of course you can love them. They're in Melbourne. <laughs> Especially, I mean, if it has to be by correspondence, you won't come unstuck, although some do. But you won't come unstuck so much on correspondence. But you see, if it's a question of just being able to live in a never-never world. That's not reality. The foundation, of course there's only one foundation in Melbourne, as here. But practically, it must be the believers as, who live in this area. Now, how can I find that foundation upon which we can all come together? And stay together by the grace of God, and move on. Well, that is it. The church locally expressed is as simple as that. We're meeting on the foundation of Christ as found here in this area. And therefore, if you're living in this area and you're in Christ, and I'm in this area and in Christ, then we're together. If you want to be a Baptist, you can be a Baptist. I shall still love you. If you want to be an exclusive? You can be an exclusive. We'll love you. We'll keep our arms open to you, even though you don't allow us in on your membership. But we don't want to add a title or a name or a label which will divide you from us. We want to find that foundation which we can say, come on, let's be together for what we are, Christians. Let's be here together for what we really are, born-again believers in the family of God. And let's keep that minimum foundation and not add to it. 
and look to God that we might go on and come into every experience that can be ours in Christ by the operation and activity of the Holy Spirit. We must thus remember that we are but part of the church. We are not the church. We are only part of the church in Richmond. Here we are just a little family. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of believers in Richmond. They don't meet with us. They all go elsewhere. But we are part of the church. As far as we know, we're the only company that meet on that one foundation and can open our arms to all the others. You can come to our business meeting if you're a believer living in this area. We, I can't come to yours. <laughs> because I'm shut out. You can come to us because you're a believer. Got it? That's why we don't have any membership. Because there's only one membership in heaven. And if you're born of God, you're in. And if you're not, you're not in. Well, we must never, the, the basis of exclusiveness is when we say we are the church. Poor people. They haven't seen like that. How quickly and easily that kind of spirit can grow. We must always remind ourselves we're only part of But, supposing the Lambert family if there were a lot of them, waltzed off and called themselves draconian smokers. Now, what are we to do? To say we're no longer Lamberts? Because half of them or two-thirds of them have gone off and called themselves some other name by deed polls? Because they didn't like the name Lambert? No, of course not. We're still Lamberts. We were born Lamberts. That was our name. So we, 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 we don't say we're all the Lamberts. Some of them are masquerading under other names now. But we are Lamberts. Why, therefore, should we not say, yes, we are the church, not in the sense that we are the church and no one else is, but we're here on the original foundation, that's all, Jesus Christ. And we wish to stay there. If others want to add a label, God bless them. And another label, God bless them. If they want to be exclusive, God bless them. But we want to stay on a foundation in which we can, in fact, uh, uh, welcome all. Christ as the original foundation, the original foundation, Christ our oneness. And then one other point, two other points. We must keep our arms and heart open to every believer, whoever he or she is. And receive them as Christ has received us. That's what it says in Romans chapter 15. And uh, verse 7. Romans 15 verse 7. Wherefore receive ye one another, even as Christ also received you to the glory of God the Father. How do I receive you? I must receive you. How do you receive me? You must receive me as Christ received us. Now, how did Christ receive me? As a person who was wonderful? No. As a person who was zealous? No. As a person who was prepared to go to the ends of the earth as a missionary? No. God received me as a sinner. 
saved by his grace. That was the way I came in. That's how I must accept you. Not all the time saying, oh, I just can't get on with those. If only they were here. You can't do it. How do you can't? He received them as a sinner, saved by his grace. You must, because that's the way God received you. Doesn't mean you must stay there, you must go on. But the basis of our receiving one another is as simple as that. But we cannot touch what divides. However, that we must. If once we start getting involved in things which are uh, divisions, we're in trouble. Now, that is simply the church locally expressed. Now, what do we do when the believers multiply? The company uh, uh, is on this foundation and has begun to experience something of Christ together and has learned to keep, by the grace of God alone, the unity of the Spirit. Now, what do we do as they multiply? Well, on the one hand, we want to keep the togetherness and unity of all in that area. And on the other hand, we want to be able to divide us, uh, those believers up into groups small enough for everyone to get to know each other and to be able to have fellowship and to function together. This is the end uh, objective uh, of this. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42... Uh, sorry, 46. We read this, and day by day, continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from home to home, they took their food with gladness and singleness of heart. So this great company of believers in Jerusalem had two kinds of meeting. They met in the temple uh, court under these Solomon's porches, because that was the only place where such a large crowd could all get together. And there they used to meet together for singing psalms and uh, prayer and so on and general sort of, I suppose, notices and fellowship. And then they broke bread from home to home. In other words, they couldn't all break bread in the meeting in the temple. So they had various places all through Jerusalem, so it would seem, where there was the breaking of bread. And all the believers went to those um, Houses. Now, there's a very interesting little thing uh, uh, here, if you look farther on, in Acts 4. Once you get this, there are lots of little intimations that this was so in Jerusalem. For instance, in chapter 4, 23, it says, this is speaking of Peter and John, being let go, they came to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. Now, that's an extraordinary phrase, unto their own company. It doesn't say, and they came to, uh, and being let go, they went to the church, but went to their own company. So John and Peter were in one of these house groups. And when they were let go, there was evidently not a big meeting that night where they could speak to everyone, so they went along to their own company and told them there. Um... Those of you who know anything about early church history will know also that it's generally considered that John Mark's home was the sort of headquarters of the whole. This was the place where uh, probably uh, the Last Supper was held and where Pentecost was fulfilled. 
And it's quite probable that this was the sort of general sort of office or uh, uh, central place uh, for the whole. But anyway, you've got two kinds of meeting. Why do we need two kinds of meeting? Because have you ever been in those small meetings which get more and more and more parochial? So that in the end, you don't hardly even know what's going on the other end of the town. And you feel so dead. Oh, when a missionary goes through, it's a red-letter day just to even hear of something. And it all seems so far away. We need the bigger buildings, I think, always, to keep us in touch with things, to lift us, to give us a vision. Otherwise, we get, we get so mundane, we get so, so parochial, so narrow, uh, in a rut, in the small. But we also need the small because you can escape in the big and the larger we get, the more you can escape. Thank God, I don't think there are so many that do escape thus far. Uh, the, the, the sort of general collisions uh, and everything else that must come if we're to find Christ as our oneness and our power. But, as we get larger, there will be all the possibility of escape. We can come and sit in a big meeting and we feel that we're lost in the hole and there we sit and all the rest of it. And that um, if there's someone we dislike, well, we can see them spot them sitting on the far side so we sit on the other side. We can keep out of their way. We don't have... But in the small meeting, with about 14 sitting in a circle in a little room, there you are, sat next to so-and-so. You can't escape. Now, why do we need these smaller gatherings? Well, Lord, one or two things we very briefly uh, point out. The first is the need for all to take part. Now, obviously, uh, take the prayer meeting. Now we are getting a hundred or so to the prayer meeting. Well, what happens is this, that generally speaking, about 50 people or so remain silent. Now, of course, relatively speaking, this is tremendous. Not the people who keep silent, but the people who take part. Because those of, many of you must know the kind of prayer meetings where you have a ten-minute silence between each contribution. And where it sort of goes round like a little, almost a ping-pong uh, thing between one or two or three, you know. That's all. But the whole danger of having too many in a prayer meeting is the simple fact that we don't all take part. And the idea that we must break down into smaller groups is in order that we might all function. Now, every one of us is a king and a priest. Did you know that? It says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are built up a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, it says we've all been... We apologise to the listener, but at this point, the main master reel was turned over in the meeting, and about one minute of the message is missing. Is a priest, a priest unto God. That is someone who stands before God and um, uh, uh, prays, or intercedes, or mediates. Well, there's the need for everyone to take part and 
place. There's a place for everyone. Um, let's put it this way. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that uh, there are all kinds of functions and all kinds of gifts. What's the good if everyone's only got one? What's the good if everyone's sort of one type of, uh, of function or one type of, of gift? We've got to have all these different kinds of gifts and functions. Now, in a big meeting, how can all take part? May I make it quite plain and clear here and now that it's not a question that every single um, person ought to take part in a meeting. This is not the plan of God either. There's a it's a good thing for us sometimes to be quiet and to let others lead us and, uh, and so on. It's under the government of the Spirit. God preserve us from that kind of jamboree where everyone has to speak because they've got the right. Everyone's got to function a sort of publicly because, well, they just think that they ought to. God preserve us. That's not. Uh, the kind of gathering we're talking about. We're talking of the gathering that's under the, the, the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. And it's all there. And all the Holy Spirit has to do is to bring it out. It's all there. Ready for use. We know that in a good prayer meeting already, don't we? So the Lord, the Holy Spirit is the conductor. And he, as it were, draws out this and then that and brings in this and shuts up that and I, sometimes I wish he would. <laughs> it's bringing in and being shut up. And sometimes we don't know when to shut up. And it's sometimes we don't know when to come in. But the Holy Spirit is the conductor. And in a good time, everyone has something. If we could only extend that to other things. But that doesn't come quite into this tonight. There are so many other gifts or so many other um, uh, manifestations of the Spirit that are for the profit of, of, of the whole. And all we need to do is to be open to God. That's all. Open to God. So that if he wants this, it comes in and that, it comes in. If he wants to restrain that, I'm sorry. Well, you see, the whole danger is of being a spectator. In a large crowd, you come in, you sit on the fringe, you say, oh, it was a dreadful time tonight. Of course, you never took part. It is always the same. It's, oh, never took part. And then, of course, if you take anything like this, they say, I felt such a heaviness. Well, why didn't you shift it? <laughs> why didn't you shift it? Oh, you see, now that's just the kind of silly thing someone would say from the platform. You can't shift it. Oh, yes, you can. Women turned armies of aliens to flight through faith. Others shut mouths of lions through faith. If there's a heaviness, sit there and say, Out! In the name of the Lord. It's not for us. And take part when God leads you. Come in. How lovely it is sometimes to hear a new voice altogether. Oh, it lifts everything. We hear those old tired voices going on and on and on. <laughs> and finally, when they stop, we say, Amen. <laughs> and then we, there's some new believer comes in and prays, and it's so lovely. 
new believer comes in and lifts the whole time and we all say, oh. It was life. Because it was a fresh voice with a fresh contribution. Well, there's the danger of us being dead wood in a larger gathering. We come week by week, we sit there and never open our mouths. Now, don't think for a single moment, I must say this, some people say, oh, I'm looking forward to when we're smaller in number because then we, I shall be able to take part. Oh, no, you won't. You are entirely forgetting that you have an enemy. And the enemy who's put a hand over your mouth in the big meeting will undoubtedly put his hand over your mouth in the small. Don't think it's just a question of smallness. In a few people it is. Those who are genuinely afraid of large numbers find it very hard. But quite honestly, if you can't get through in the larger, if you haven't got, if you haven't proved grace sufficient and the power of the Holy Spirit to get through in the larger, you won't in the smaller because the enemy will step up this sort of clamping operation to make up for the smaller so don't get away with that. People always say, oh, when we're smaller, it's all as if it's some sort of panacea for everything. It's going to answer everything. It's the cure for everything. No, no, you've got an enemy. So prove the Lord now. And then when it's in the smaller, you'll find that you prove the Lord there. Well, if this is a great problem, this matter of dead wood. Do you know there are people who come to every single time of prayer and just sit there looking pretty? They never open their mouths. Now, of course, in the game, we mustn't think that only if a person opens their mouth is there any value in it. Sometimes there's great value in some people keeping their mouths shut. But the fact of the matter is this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so it is that we should hear uh, over a year. We ought to hear everyone. A year. I'm being very kind. We ought to hear everyone sometime during but I fear sometimes that it is not so. Now, if a person really is in bondage, now, there are cases of real bondage. We know some that are due to background and other things, teaching and other things, especially sisters, feel absolutely bound. Come forward and ask for help. Don't just sit there in a bound state. Come and ask for help. Ask for prayer ministry. Others may come to get around you and with you and lift you up and help you in this thing. Don't just go on year after year till the Lord comes. And then you say, oh Lord, I'm so glad to be with you. And he'll say, you know, I never heard your voice publicly in any of those gatherings. There's the problem of impersonal largeness. It's impersonal nature. Of course, this is another problem. It's not only the question that everyone ought to be able to take part, place for the function of all, and so on, but in the larger gathering, 
gradually, the larger we are get, we are not all that large, but as we start to get larger, so we shall find the danger of the impersonal. I mean, take just myself. I stand there on Sunday morning shaking hands. <laughs> as they go out, like a sort of... Yeah, well, no, not a Noah's Ark. I wouldn't say that, but it's like a supermarket. You know, they're just going there. I feel like one of those cash registers, sort of, sort of ringing something up as they go out one after another. Well, we know everyone's name, or we try to get everyone's name. Now and again, I call somebody something else, and something else. after a while we get to know. But you mean the whole point is this, as, as you get larger, you can't help it. You see, when we were small, if a person was missing for one gathering, we saw it straight away. Now, I've got hawk-like eyes, but it's amazing. I have. I've got hawk-like eyes that swivel over the gathering. I used to be able to see everyone, but I must say, it's probably my age. But um, uh, now, I find on Sundays that someone says to me, you know, so-and-so wasn't there, and I say, oh, that's funny. I thought they were. You see, as you get larger, you, you begin to see a kind of sea of faces. You don't see everyone. And I must say this, I'd said to Margaret two or three times, so-and-so wasn't there. Yes, they were right in the front row. <laughs> They'd been there the whole time. I never saw them. Now, of course, that's because, naturally, we've got some other responsibilities to think about than gazing into people's faces. But uh, the fact is, the matter is, as we get larger, that's just my how it affects me, but as we get uh, larger in number, this is the kind of thing that happens. People can slip in and slip out and not know, and, and it's quite unnoticed. Someone can come in, and they're not even spoken to. They come in and they go out. That's a tragedy if anyone ever comes into a gathering, and they're not sort of just welcomed. Or and this is the whole problem as we get larger. People and needs are overlooked. Till too late, suddenly, finally, it's heard of, it's understood, and it's too late. The damage is done. Well, then, we need the smaller times, because in those smaller times, things bubble up a bit more. Uh, there is the, the closeness, and so on, or ought to be. Um, there's another danger of largeness, and that is of cliques. You can't help that. People attracted to one another um, temperamentally or doctrinally or experimentally. And there's all the danger of cliques. You get it in every large group. It's a natural, spontaneous human reaction after a while. Now, there's nothing wrong in having special friends and there's nothing wrong in sharing, uh, with, especially in the matter of prayer. And in real prayer, you've got to have people who really know uh, a thing or two, who can touch each other in the spirit. That's right. But woe betide us if we are just going to become cliques. And the whole point of these smaller gatherings is that we it cuts right across all that and sort of brings us together in the sub-district in which we are, and we've got to be together simple uh, as that. Um, these smaller house groups all 
also we, we must say, um, to be strictly for those in that particular district. In other words, uh, we don't want people journeying across from here to the other side, uh, but to that one, because they like Brother So-and-so who leads it. He leads it so sympathetically and is so living. That's the danger. We have to stay in the group in which we are and really get through uh, there. That's a test for anyone's spirituality. Um, there are two things there, discipline and togetherness. The discipline of being bound together on that foundation of Jesus Christ and really going through together. Well, now then, that finally leads me to say the practical side of these district meetings or sub-district meetings, whatever your home groups, the idea is not, as I hope you have now discovered, is not to provide a homey atmosphere or just a sort of uh, uh, kind of free for all. That's not the idea at all. The idea is something much, much more. It is, in fact, that we may get down to the practical matter of going through spiritual and that we need, uh, therefore, to be in smaller. Well, now, the number and the area. This is the Richmond area, Richmond-upon-Thames. We have uh, thus far thought of four principal areas. At least we did think of four. Originally, there were many more than that, but we reduced it to four to start with. That is the Richmond, North Sheen, uh, Sheen, Mortlake, Petersham, and Ham. That is the whole of this area here. Okay? Including Kew. That's one. Then there is across the bridge here the East Twickenham lot. This lot here, East Twickenham, St. Margaret's, where a lot of saints of the choices. <laughs> and then here there is uh, Twickenham proper, uh, Hampton, and Teddington. These are in another area. So we have the three. And the fourth area is this area here, which is uh, Isleworth. All right? Those are the four. Now, roughly, uh, this group here, the Richmond, uh, that is this side of the River Thames, um, numbers about 55, hmm. of which 40 would probably be coming to the uh, time of prayer. Uh, this group here in East Twickenham numbers about 30-something, uh, and as we've got rather a lot of married couples, we are down to 20 when it comes to prayer. The other area, Hampton, Teddington, and um, uh, Twickenham, are about 12 to 14, thereabouts. And the Isleworth um, folks, they are also about the same, possibly a little less, uh, 9 or 10. And now, th when I say 9 or 10, I'm now speaking of those who would actually uh, always come to the time. So we thought that perhaps the best idea is to make another area of queue. 
which would cut out about 14 uh, into this Q area. Okay? So we are either having four or five uh, groups. Um, that's the first thing. Uh, the second is um, the regularity of these house meetings. Our, our plan at present is to have them every other Tuesday. Probably, in the end, we shall have them three Tuesdays out of four. But our plan at present is to have them every other. Now, why that? Well, we'll explain why. Because we are very concerned uh, that um, executive prayer should not suffer. And until we've learned, and the Spirit of God has taught us, how really to be able to take things in the name of the Lord in each group and uh, really have them dealt with there, we feel there is the need for us to come together um, the other. So it'll probably be every other week uh, we'll have a house, house meetings and uh, uh, in the end three out of the four. I don't know whether we shall ever have them every single week unless we really grow large because there is value in us coming together at least once a month um, to be able really to sort of be really together, all of us. Now, then, there's a need of central, centrally placed homes in this area. Of course, again, there are problems on this, uh, particularly here. We in East Twickenham are, are well placed, um, and um, uh, that's not too bad. Uh, there's a problem here in Isleworth uh, as to homes that are really central. Some of the homes there have got unsaved people uh, in them, you know, and this makes it a bit difficult, unless they're really agreeable. Otherwise, praise God, if an unsaved person there is agreeable, let's move in, they may be saved. Mm. This is just what we're praying, same with neighbours and so on. We're just praying that uh, the Lord may wonderfully use it like that. Um, uh, this area, um, again, I would seem that the centre will probably be more Teddington, but we're not absolutely, again, sure yet for the Hampton, um, uh, Teddington and Twickenham. What we need is not one centrally placed home that will have its home knocked about every other week or three weeks out of the four, but that we might have two or three homes which we can rotate. Not too many, but that we can move from those. Um, now, what do we need in a home? Well, you need a room large enough to take about 15 people. Uh, in, in, in East Twickenham, 20. And here in Richmond, 30. Um, now, people have bothered very much about what there should be in these rooms. Should there be pianos? Should there be... The, well, we would like to have a piano, if there is a piano, but as there are those amongst us who love unaccompanied singing, um, we may have to go in for unaccompanied singing. That's one of them. Um, so, uh, the fact is, we may have to use 
flutes for recorders or um, uh, squeeze boxes or what have you. But I am sure that the Lord will help us to get through on a silly problem like this. Uh, we'll be ready for anything that comes one day when we don't have such things. Uh, anyway, if you've got a piano, yes, obviously it would be good. Um, uh, but if not, well, we're going to see if there are other forms of uh, music that we may indulge in for these times. If we want singing. Now, it may be that in some groups uh, they may feel that they don't want singing. We personally think that singing is good because it's part of praise and worship. And it's lovely to be able to sing the Lord and uh, sing to the Lord, uh, uh, not only before, but even during prayer, if the Lord so give us a chorus or something. And um, anyway, those can be that kind of thing can be decided in the group. <coughs> it does need to be a stoutly built um, wall. If it's a house that's a terrace house, that is built straight onto another. Um, uh, because otherwise, neighbours might wonder what is on earth is happening when they hear wafting through the walls the fervent prayers of people for the Prime Minister and others. <laughs> but you, you must understand that it is, in fact, a practical thing. And we've heard it. I go around the country and hear these things and hear the screamingly funny things that uh, neighbours have thought, because they've heard the most strange things coming through the wall in a great company of people that have sort of all gone there for they don't know what. So there is perhaps a need, although I must say this, I've heard of people converted as they've listened to people praying uh, on the other side of the wall. Anyway, the thing is that, of course, obviously detached house is a good idea because you don't have the problem of the noise and disturbance with neighbours. But generally speaking, a room that will take 15 people or so is what is required. Now, some have said, what about chairs? Well, I'm not sure that we'll have to get used to sitting on the floor. I don't mean the older ones amongst us. Uh, we'll reserve the armchairs and other things for them, but I'm sure that the younger ones, uh, all those below 30, uh, will be only too happy uh, to sit on the floor, or you'll have to bring those little collapsible sort of fishermen's chairs with you. I can't see how else you can get over it. Very few homes have so many chairs. Those are just practical little points. I'm sure that, that we can come over all that. Now, what about the character of the meeting? Some have been very concerned about this. <clears throat> They've asked us, well, what does it mean? I mean, how are we going to... Well, of course, obviously, they're going to be under the government of God. But at present, we don't foresee that they will be vastly different from the kind of time we have here. And our whole thing, point in this prayer is not to provide another, a new type of meeting. Our aim on a Tuesday evening is to get to the Lord in prayer. It's a specialised time. Um, it's not just a general open meeting of fellowship. It's a time when we're specialising. We're, we're seeking to reach the Lord and be with the Lord in certain things. But that's the thing that the government is. And our point at present is that on general matters, wider matters, um, on Monday evening, instead of we now do it on Tuesday, but on Monday evening we shall work put down matters for prayer. If people have got things that they're concerned about, they will come to us. These will be uh, typed out, and each group will have one, uh, leaving a great blank open for personal matters to be added in each of the groups. 
so that the personal matters in each group come up within that group. And when there is a particular matter that affects all, which is personal, but which is really sort of difficult, then we shall mention it over the, over the whole. Do you see? That's the uh, idea uh, there. So I, I don't know whether there's any other real problem uh, in this matter. Um, <clears throat> there are some problems which I've already mentioned. We don't need to go into them. Neighbors, uh, that's the biggest problem. We could destroy the name of the Lord by these times. Just a whole number of people banging car doors late in the evening or starting up motorbikes or shouting sort of greetings or farewells to each other, can, oh, again, traveling round. I know some places where such a lot of trouble, because meetings have been rather late, actually, you know, and there's been all this banging of doors. These people have been quite joyful, gone out and forgotten altogether. Uh, and they bang doors, motorbikes are roared off. Well, of course, you can't expect the neighbors in a quiet sort of road to be very pleased when they find that the church militant has moved in like that, <laughs> and that there are doors banging every motorbikes riding around, people saying, bye-bye, sort of thing at the top of their voice, <laughs> and so, so on. Um, so, I mean, th 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 this could be a problem, and we're all going to have to be very careful on this, and each of the groups are going to have to be told, especially by those in that house, if there are difficult people around. Um, <clears throat> the other problem is the borderline people. Now, when I say borderline people, I mean people who are living on the borderline of a district. Um, <laughs> forgive the word, but you know what I mean. Um, there are a number, and we, are, we don't want to be legalistic in this whole thing. Now, you can see what a strange kind of borough we have. Now, see this little line that goes right down there? There's no bus that goes up there, but that is North Sheen. Well, obviously, I mean, it's no good saying now those in North Sheen should meet because the transport would be hopeless. Besides, they're divided by a railway, which means they've got to go right round. These are our problems. Now, we have someone here in Whitton, and we're not quite sure whether they ought to come in here or whether they ought to go to, to um, Isleworth. Did you touch it? Now, another one of our problems is to do with the Q group. We've got quite a nice little crowd there. But then we have uh, Michael, Patsy, Jenny, um, and Winnie. And you see, we're not sure whether we should include them in the um, uh, queue or bring them into Richmond. Now, the problem, it, really, that needs to decide is communication. You know, whether, in fact, transport is as easy going up that way to queue than coming in. Because there are a number in... Uh, Richmond. Do you understand? Then I think we've also got a problem with Judith and Valerie, who are right on the edge here somewhere. Michael Ashpool, we've put you in the Twickenham one. And, um, uh, well, we've, you are actually in Twickenham, aren't you? But I believe that your address is St. Margaret's, isn't it? But the actual thing cuts across your road, right in the centre. Yes. So there again, there's going, we're going to have to do, find out which, in fact, is the easiest, whether we should make the line the Chertsey Bridge, and beyond that, say, uh, that's Isleworth, uh, and so on. Uh, those are problems. 
Um, as you can see, we don't want to be legalistic about it at all. Our whole problem is to find what is the simplest and obvious thing to do. But what we do want to stop is people here going here, people here going there, and people here sort of coming across to here. That's the thing we want to stop. Uh, because that would be wrong. Now, someone says, well, what happens if I go out to tea with somebody uh, here? Do I then have to walk back to here? No, of course not, providing you don't do it every single week. <laughs> if you do it every week, we shall smell a rat. And, uh, and uh, the elder brothers will undoubtedly speak to you uh, about this sort of um, problem. But I mean, the, the fact of the matter is we're not under law. Yet at the same time, we want to um, see that we have a, 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 the kind of division which is practical and which is down to earth, and at the same time where the Lord can really come in. Um, I mentioned last an executive prayer. That's one of the things we're going to have to ask the Lord to teach us in our groups. Otherwise, it will be sad if they become only petitions and things are not dealt uh, in the name of the Lord there. And of course, there's, um, others have said to me, well, don't you think that splitting into smaller groups is going to open us up to the possibility of error or unbalance or something else? Of course not. Why should it? If the Holy Spirit can keep us all together, can't he keep us in the smaller groups? Of course he can. And, I mean, the fact is this. It's not as if these things, there is no government in them. The, 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 there's a real government. If we began to find, for instance, that in certain group, uh, certain elements were trying to take it over or manipulate it, well, we'd have to deal with it. Quite simply. There's, there's no need to be afraid in this kind of thing uh, at all. Well, yes. Oh, sorry, Anne. Thank you so much for mentioning it. Now, what happens to those, um, the Samaritans and others who are far away? Um, you see these dear little dots here. These, these dots, by the way, are not uh, necessarily one person. They could be whole homes or families. For instance, the whole Skate family has only one dot. So that shows you that, that it doesn't mean the number. Now, our thing again is this. Maureen, who is up here, we thought it would probably be best for her to go into the Eisenway group. Because as far as we know, that this is the thing we need to talk to her about. She comes down on a certain road, she either goes left or right. Um, and it would seem to us to be simple to go the other way and go to Eisenway, as in fact the Ealing Way is there. But now you see you've got people... Uh, out here, Wimbledon, and um, uh, Mrs. Hall, um, and Audrey, and those. Well, we would obviously feel that the simplest thing was for them to come here. If there was a Barnes group, of course, obviously, they would go there. It would be simple. But the fact is that, you see, again, it's communication. Uh, the lines of transport come in this way. And it is, in fact, easier for these folk here to come right into Richmond. Any other question? Have I overlooked anything else? Uh, there are some practical points. Don't feel it's all uh, 
you know, done now and settled. I mean, there are certain things, such as folks I've mentioned, who could go this way or that way, that we should be talking with you uh, about this. Uh, one of our other plans, by the way, is we found that so far the brothers, the elder brothers, are evenly divided, more or less evenly. If we have a Q group, Brother Sean Eriksson's here, Ron is here, um, I am here, Derek is here. Out here is David, Pat, and um, Douglas. Um, there are, of course, others here as well. I haven't mentioned them at all. Uh, but so we're more or less evenly uh, distributed uh, in the area. Another thing we would like to do, of course, is to have to ask if there could be one or two sisters in each group who would help us, the brothers, in watching over that group. Uh, when I say watching over them, I don't mean telling them what to do, but um, watching over them in the care of, uh, in, in needs and properties. Because our whole concern now is that we brothers ought to know and hear needs that there are uh, in the company. And often a sister knows it more than a brother. So uh, this is one of the things that we're quite concerned uh, about in each group. Yes, on this question of singing, um, of course, the whole problem has come up of hymn books. And the only way we could, um, in fact, uh, do this is for everyone to buy their own hymn book. And uh, then either keep it with them or better, deposit it in uh, the group that they are. And then someone will see that those books are taken to whichever house it is. Uh, that the meeting would be at. Um, we would have to decide, we'll let you know all know this, uh, which book we will have, whether we shall have redemption or hymns of faith or, or, or what. But that's something that we will come to later. Well, our time's gone. Is there any other problem anyone has? Well, that at present we still, we are not, absolutely sure yet. So if you've got a home, as we've mentioned this evening, do offer it. If you feel that the Lord would have you offer it, offer it. Our one um, problem in the question of houses is this central uh, meeting here in Richmond. And our concern is this house. What we should do, as you know, we have people, guests, visitors coming from London and elsewhere coming here, and we don't quite honestly know what we ought to do. We, you could have the meeting, it's been suggested we have it in the lounge next door, which would be very nice. It would help the folks in the Richmond area to get away from the sense of being in the usual meeting place. Uh, Mrs. Conway also has offered across the road. Um, there's only, this is the only problem really here. Well, I'm quite sure the Lord's going to lead us on all these practical things and that... Uh, um, what we want to avoid is moving in, making mistakes at the beginning, which are the kind that sort of bring death in. That's what we want to avoid. We want to move into this uh, in a sort of living way, and if we've got to make smaller mistakes, well, we make them and learn from them, uh, and so on. But we do want to be right uh, as to time and as to character. Or shall we pray?
Dear Lord, thou knowest everything about this matter. And Lord, we believe that thou art truly interested and desirous that we should move. And Lord, we pray together that thou wilt wonderfully come in as we set our hearts and faces toward this thing. There are problems, Lord, but thou canst solve those. Thou art big enough for that. We thank the Lord that thy grace is sufficient for every need, whatever it is. And so together now, Lord, we pray that if, as we've shared these things, fresh problems or difficulties come up in our hearts and minds, they may come to light. We only want to do thy will, Lord. Be found walking in thy way, being prepared by thy spirit for the days which are coming upon this earth. Lord, hear us then. Give us, above all, eyes to see what the church really is. And hearts, Lord, that care for one another. We together now commit then this evening to thee. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.